welcome to episode 40 of the 2QB experience. This is the Lake 2QB's experience. It's a bit of a melancholy episode. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, before we get there, I do want to thank Anthony Amico for filling in on our Dynasty-centric episodes, uh, the ones that we had bookending the NFL draft. But this episode, we're bringing back the OGs of 2QB's. We got Joshua Lake at Lake2QB's on Twitter. We got Salvatore Stefanil. Stefanile, ah, oh, man, I always butcher your name. Sorry, Sal. <laughs> at 2QBFFB. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. It's good to have you on. It's uh, been a while. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have the gang together. Yep, the whole team, the whole crew. Um, with that said, I kind of teased a, a little something that we got coming down the pipe. I'm going to turn it over to Josh for that. Yeah, so I have not publicly announced it, although it's in my Twitter bio, but I am stepping away from fantasy football, um, which means stepping away from two QBs and, and everywhere else that I'm writing. I'm not going to be not going to be writing, not going to be podcasting. And it's a it's a very sad thing. I I haven't talked about it publicly, so I guess this is the first opportunity. But it, it is sad and real life has kind of crept up for both good and bad reasons, some things that I'm not going to get into, but just responsibilities, some health issues in the family, things that are more pressing priorities. And so I'm, I'm, I'm stepping away to take kind of a, a closer focus on those things. So I'll be in the community, I'll be on Twitter, but I will not be the third member of this trio, sadly, which is uh, probably the saddest part of stepping away, to be honest. And you'll still be there in spirit, though. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, Josh will always be Team 2QBs, and I mean, it goes without saying that if and when you're ever ready to come back and you know rejoin the fold, you'll have a, a place to hang out with us, um, I mean, on the podcast, on the site, you know, fingers crossed it's still going. When 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 you come back, I'm, I'm not even going to say if, I think it's just a matter of when, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is, this is a bummer for us. Um, I've really personally enjoyed working with you, Josh, and 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 bringing up this site, uh, you know, as a team, all three of us, especially with like the amazing crew of writers and and other content producers that we have at the site, it's gonna be sad to see you go. But you know, real life, it happens, man. This is something that we all have to deal with, and it's not easy. But um, I mean, you do what you can to kind of make your life as enjoyable as as possible, and you know, sometimes that means not producing fantasy football content for some reason um <laughs> not not to belittle your choice or anything but like yeah, no, I, it's, yeah it's, it's true i mean it's it is a sad thing I, this is something i value a whole lot and all of fantasy football i was tweeting about it the other day but it's such a great community of people there's so many good human beings that are on fantasy football twitter and just are in the community uh, and i gotta say that two qbs is really foremost among them for me you guys are fantastic. I consider you both friends and certainly won't be dropping out of those relationships, but just to not be kind of working alongside you guys, riding alongside all the writers is going to be a, a sad way to experience the year. But at the same time, like I said, for kind of taking care of the family and focusing on things here at home, it, it's a good thing. Yeah. Real life is always going to take precedence over f fantasy football. And I mean, like I, I'm, I'll be safe when I say that I speak for Greg on this, but there wouldn't be a two QBs without you, Josh. Uh, I'm not sure how many people out there listening to this podcast remember the original two QBs.com, two quarterbacks, one team. But no, <laughs> that like that you actually are the originator of two QBs.com. It's a little uh, footnote in the history of the website there. 
But no, it's been an interesting uh, and eventful and fruitful and wonderful time to you know get to know you, get to know Greg, build up this two QB community together. Like I remember when I started writing about two quarterback leagues, there weren't a whole lot of people really doing it, and like. It almost seems like overnight you and uh, Josh Berger and the rest of the uh, two QBs, one team, 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 that's a weird thing to say, <laughs> uh, showed up. And uh, eventually over time, you know, Joe Siniscalci, John Fortis, you know, Greg himself, we all kind of like built this two QB community. You know, it's, you know, it's been a privilege and an honor to you know, share your work and write alongside you and be a part of the new two QBs.com. And, uh, like, I'm going to miss reading your work, uh, but luckily, like you mentioned, you're still going to be around Twitter, which is going to be nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss it, too. And uh, one thing I will say is that I do take a little bit of pride in the fact that I can still bounce ideas off you, Josh. I, know I, I appreciate that you're not completely, you know, cutting yourself off from playing fantasy football. So if I still have, you know, like questions i'm still i'm still gonna bug you with those i mean yeah i, I know you may not get back to me right away but just just get ready though those, those emails are coming to you. um in, in terms of what this means for the site going forward uh two qbs is still going on sal and i are going to keep running the site dedicated to two quarterback and super flex analysis and this is probably as good a time as any to announce that uh we are putting together a, a draft guide for the 2017 season so this is going to be uh, like an ebook or you know however you want to call it like a digital document uh, that's going to evolve over the preseason uh, rankings projections analysis articles uh, some fun stuff some serious stuff it, it's going to be awesome um, we're, we're putting a lot of work into it behind the scenes right now which is part of why you're not seeing quite as many articles on the site itself um, but those will still be there too uh, we have a lot of you know content still planned for uh, the online site that'll be you know free to everybody as usual uh, but we're going to take the plunge and try to do a draft guide this year. I mean, not try to. We're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, Sal, do you want to you know offer up any other insight onto that? Uh, no. One of the dreams or goals that I've always had since breaking into the industry was to produce a two-quarterback fantasy football draft guide. You know, we talked about it last year. We put together my strategy pieces as like an ebook to test the grounds. And this year we're finally actually going to do it. And I'm kind of excited for it just because the content we have planned for it and the people that are producing content for it, I'm really excited for it. And I think it's going to be an uh, indispensable piece of most people's two-quarterback uh, fantasy draft prep this offseason. That's such a that's such a cool thing. I mean, some of us played long enough ago that magazine draft guides were actually a, a legitimate resource instead of how they are now. And then even moving to online sites, whether it's Fake Pigskin has one, Roto World has one. There's a bunch of sites that put out draft guides. The fact that there's like a specific two quarterback one this year makes me very happy, and I I will certainly be downloading one. All right, we sold our first copy. <laughs> except this one's free so we're we're still not making any money Son of a, it, just, it doesn't get in this is not a good business model you can't just give it away <laughs> but yeah we're super excited for that and you know we'll, we'll have more announcements to come with that um you know and pre-orders and all that good stuff um coming down the pipe real soon but just kind of want to throw it out there to all you listeners that you guys are going to hear about it first um and if you're listening to this podcast you really care about two quarterback fantasy or super flex fantasy and and this guide is for you that's that's you guys are the target audience you're who it's meant for um and you know people aren't going to get this sort of leg up on 
you know, our specific format from a different draft guide, a one quarterback draft guide. And that's how we hope to kind of make a name for ourselves. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I'm, I'm like Sal, super excited to have as many awesome contributors. Like we have a bunch of guest uh, writers doing articles, people who don't normally write for two QBs. And you'll, you'll hear more about them in the days to come. But let, let's move on. Josh, before you go, man, I got to get some more football takes from you. Are you okay with that? Hey, let's do it. I mean, this would be a sad place to just cut off the episode. <laughs> yeah, we can't We can't do that. So NFL Draft, I had those episodes with Anthony. Again, thanks to him for kind of filling in. But um, what were your takeaways from the draft? Do you have any any hot takes, any ice cold takes? Um, what are, what have you been, what's been on your football brain lately? Um, the one that came to mind most quickly is I love what the Browns did at quarterback. And I'll tie this back to what we do in, in a minute, but watching the Browns approach the quarterback position when they've got Brock Osweiler and Cody Kessler coming into the draft um, and Hogan for sure. But, um I love what they did. They, they kind of took the approach of, look, if you don't love one of the quarterbacks in the draft, or at least you don't love them to the same level as other owners do, then don't push to, to draft one of them. Draft values at the other positions and take whoever falls to you in a tier that you consider worth drafting. And it, it's exactly what we have preached on the site and on the podcast, Greg, for, for fantasy, for two quarterback leagues is, look, don't overpay there's tears, wait till you get a good price on somebody. And it, it was kind of fun to see something play out in the NFL where I think they're taking exactly the same approach we talk about for fantasy. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Hugh Jackson plays two quarterback leagues. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing his own four quarterback league right now. <laughs> but you're right. There's that really cool element of kind of a, a shotgun spread approach. Like we talk about the late round quarterback strategy all the time, you know, not really investing high capital, but taking a lot of cheap shots on, you know, kind of replaceable talent at the position. And that's what they're doing. Like they have Kessler, they have Osweiler, they have Kaiser now. And one of those guys, or, or maybe both of, or two or three of them are all going to be involved this year. Hopefully they can mine some value out of that. I, I think that they probably <laughs> will, will make it more of a mess than it needs to be just because that's how football goes, like between injuries and, you know, the general, like, clamor from fans to get certain players in there like as soon as one guy starts to struggle it's going to be everybody calling for the other guy right like if Kessler gets the starting gig and he sucks for two games then everyone's going to be yelling for Kaiser and then if Kaiser comes in and he sucks then everyone's going to yell for Osweiler and I don't know if from like an organizational standpoint that's really good for any of those guys from a value standpoint from a you know maximizing your efficiency like in the draft in your kind of allocation of resources they're doing a great job and clearly they've taken that analytical approach. And I mean, that's what we preach on two QBs, just like Josh said. Yeah. So that was, that was the biggest thing. I mean, you guys covered a lot of, a lot of the other topics already on the podcast, but that, that was just fun to see them saying, look, if there's not an Andrew Luck, if there's not a guy that you're sold on as the face of the franchise, we are not going to be the Browns. We're not going to, we're not going to trade up to a crazy height to take a guy with one year of college experience. So how have your rookie drafts been going so far, Josh? I know that you and I have uh, been in the Groundhogs League together, and, and that one just wrapped up. Um, what were your takeaways from that and from any other rookie drafts you've been doing lately? The So I am only in Dynasty Leagues that are 2QB or Superflex, and I was struck by how much diversity there was in the valuing of those top four quarterbacks. Yeah. The, I watched Deshaun Watson go at third overall in a league, 
And in other leagues, there were eight, nine picks before a quarterback went. And I think it's, there's a lot of, a lot of confusion about how we should rate these quarterbacks, how we should rank them. And so it was really tough to plan this year in rookie drafts because you didn't really know how the other owners were going to feel about those quarterbacks and where the quarterbacks go has shifted where all the ADP go or where all of the other players go, I should say, because it moves around from ADP. There really isn't a standard for two, two quarterback leagues. It seems. Yeah. I've been intrigued by that difference in opinion on the QBs as well. Like I've seen Trubisky go as the second quarterback off the board as the fourth quarterback off the board. I think for me, it boils down to either, it depends on what you need right now. Do you need a guy who's going to start? Then I think you take Deshaun Watson first. And if you can wait a year, then I think it's Mahomes. But it's going to vary from team to team, from league to league, uh, you know, how these guys get evaluated. I, I do think Trubisky is interesting. Like, the landing spot is fine. He's going to start right away. Like, I like some of the Bears receivers. But, yeah, th- there's something to like and something to dislike about all four of those key guys. I, I've been interested to see where the the second tier of QBs go like Peterman, Kelly, Josh Dobbs. That's been a little fascinating. Like when people start to pull the trigger on those guys, it's usually third or fourth round. And I'm starting to think that some of them might be a little undervalued, but this is a deep draft class across all positions. So it makes sense that, you know, the, the lower tier prospects for especially a quarterback are going to go a little bit later. I kind of want to shift gears and talk a little bit more about uh, redraft Sal, you've been kind of putting together some ADP data based upon the mocks that we have going. What's been jumping out to you at the quarterback position? Like, which guys do you think are overvalued, undervalued? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we have uh, four two QB mock drafts completed that have our early May ADP. A uh, shout out to uh, Josh Smith at J422Smith on Twitter, who uh, has been putting together all the mock drafts. So some things that stood out to me overvalued was um, Jameis Winston. Uh, he comes mm-hmm. in at QB5, which seems high to me. Like, I understand <laughs> the addition of Deshaun Jackson, uh, you know, gives Winston a field stretcher, pairs him up with Mike Evans. You know, Benton McDonald wrote a really good article f- about the uh, Jackson signing and the impact on Winston earlier this offseason. But no, QB5, and you have to use a top 30 overall pick on him. It's a pretty big leap for a guy who finished as a QB20 and QB18 in points per game the last two seasons. Like, I can see him making the leap into top five fantasy quarterbacks, but I'm just not willing to pay the cost to find out if he does. How about you, Josh? Have you taken a look at the, the ADP? Is there anything that's jumping out to you? Yeah, Winston was very... I, I completely agree with everything Sal said. That one was eye-opening. I don't... I don't know if it's people still in the dynasty mindset of he's young, but totally agree with everything Sal said. That's that's paying for what his ceiling would be this year. Beyond that, I I was struck by how late the quarterbacks are going at the top of the draft, that there's only two in the top 20 right now. I think some of that is what we saw last year, what we've seen most years, that the drafters in the middle of the summer are a little more savvy and know they can wait on the position. But I always want to keep an eye on where quarterback ADP goes. And I was I was pretty amazed that there's only two in the top 20. I, I would have expected that a third got there, that Breeze probably snuck there into the top 20. But one in the top 10, two in the top 20, that, that was later than I even expected for May. Yeah, and there's not even one in the top. Like, there's no first-round quarterback either, and Aaron Rodgers at 11 comes in, like, right after that. These are all 10-team mock drafts, so... Uh, I was just looking at Rodgers. The highest he was picked was fourth overall. 
Yeah, a lot of the elite guys from years past have really slid down. Like Russell Wilson is down at, you know, six at the position behind Jameis Winston. Cam Newton is behind all those guys, as well as Mariota, Carr, and Matt Ryan, which I'm sorry. Like, I know Matt Cam Newton had a bad year, but that's friggin' insane. Yeah. Like, to, to rank him behind Derek Carr and Matt Ryan is just stupid. Like, we've seen his ceiling. We've seen his baseline of production. You can't just take the one recent year and let that be you know your litmus test for where he belongs in drafts it's crazy the other thing i've noticed and this is something that we've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast is that quarterback is really deep it's so deep like you're looking at ben roethlisberger outside of the top 12 kirk cousins outside of the top 12 matthew stafford outside of the top 12 like these guys are going so late it just doesn't doesn't really make sense to invest those early picks on aaron Rodgers, luck breeze when you can be getting you know serious contributors at other positions in those rounds and then still taking productive guys for your QB1 and QB2 spots in you know the mid rounds in round like 5 6 7 and even that's reaching like Tyrod Taylor is going at pick 79 on average which like he was a top 10 quarterback last year by in points per game there's no like real method to this it just seems like they're guys that people like based upon what they did last season or, or the last two seasons, and that's all that people care about. Like, the longer track record doesn't matter. The youth definitely is overvalued. I think that that has to do with the time of year we're doing these mocks. Like, most of the people who care about fantasy football right now are dynasty-minded people, and that's why you see Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Derek Carr, all in the top ten. Like, these guys are talented, and, and you know, there, there's reason for optimism, but to take those guys over Cam Newton is insane to me. Like, I just, you won't see me doing that. And I will be drafting Cam at his ADP if he stays that low. Yeah, when you asked earlier who are some undervalued guys, I mean, every year we say the position just gets deeper. But picking out a few names, you know, Andy Dalton, QB 16, Tyrod Taylor, QB 19. Somehow he's sandwiched in between Carson Wentz and Blake Bortles. No, Deshaun Watson's at QB 23. Uh, I'm sure his ADP will go up if he's named starter, but that's a really nice value. Brian Hoyer, QB 28. Uh, Cody Kessler comes in as the last QB on the ADP list at QB 33. Just like Watson, if uh, you know, he's named the starter, I'm sure that ADP will go up. But those are a few guys that stood out to me in terms of undervalued. Josh, did you notice anything else from the ADP at quarterback or other positions that stood out to you? You know, I don't think I've looked at the other positions deeply enough, to be quite honest. Um, at quarterback, I agree with what you guys have both said, that there's so much value late, and some of the late values seem crazy to me. I don't understand why we are just trusting so much to guys like Matt Ryan, who's had one good year, Derek Carr, who's still young and still trying to put things together, Jameis Winston. It, why we're going to pay – like, I'm not saying they're bad, None of us are saying that they're bad. It's just that why are you going to pay three rounds higher price for someone when you could get someone that's very productive later? I, I completely agree with you guys. It is baffling to me. Yeah, like it makes absolutely no sense to, you know, say draft Aaron Rodgers in round one when you can have Tyrod Taylor in round eight. <laughs> yep. And I mean, there is something to be said about those elite producers. Like the top four is pretty unassailable. You got Rodgers, Luck, Breeze, and Brady. And if you want those guys, you have to pay top dollar. And if, you know, some part of your draft analysis tells you that those guys are values at where they're being drafted, I get it. My my big issue is with that second tier, the next drop-off. I'll actually include Russell Wilson and Cam Newton in that kind of tier 1B. But everyone after that is so close in value in my mind. All the way from, 
you know, Jameis, Mariota, Matt Ryan, Dak Prescott, Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I can just keep naming these guys. And there's things to like about all of them, whether it's situation or just volume. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't see the point in committing any sort of value in that, like, round three to round five range when these other guys are going so much later. But, you know, we, we've belabored this point enough. Um, it, it's clear that you, you, the three of us are all on the same page. It's whether or not the public's going to catch up to it. And, I, I mean, I really do think that if you are patient, you're going to mine a lot of value with the position. That's just how it goes. We, we mentioned some of the lower-ranked guys like Kessler. Um, what do you guys think about the quarterback battles that we are going to see in the preseason? Are there any that jump out to you as more interesting? Or do you have any predictions about who's going to end up starting for these teams, like the Broncos or the Browns or the Niners? Because like, this stuff matters to two quarterback drafters. Like, uh, We're doing a couple mocks right now for the site, and one of them is at this point where all of the guys who are potentially going to be in a timeshare or a battle are kind of still available because nobody knows, nobody wants to commit that pick to, say, Paxton Lynch because Trevor Simeon might be named the starter, right? Are, are there any of these battles that kind of jump out to you guys as, you know, more intriguing or do, do you have any predictions on uh, the results or the outcomes of these battles? I laughed out loud that on our show notes, Eli versus Gino is in there. Because <laughs> wow. I can't think That's of a so... more funny storyline than Gino usurping <laughs> Eli Manning. Cause I'd pay to watch that. I I want to come back to the Houston situation with Watson because I kind of disagree with Sal in that I think QB 23 is, is too high. I, I actually think Tom Savage is going to get this job at, early on. I think they want to see him. They want to see if he can stay healthy and if he does what he looks like. And I think they like Watson fine, but I don't think that they just push Savage out. It's kind of the buzz that I'm hearing in the media, and who knows whether you can trust it. But I do expect that they give Savage a real opportunity here. It's not that Watson is coming in and just guaranteed a starter spot. I think that's that's more than just coach speak to try and motivate the rookie. And I'm not saying that Watson won't come in, that he won't be good, but I, I do think there's a real shot that we see Tom Savage start games under center there just because, for whatever reason, the Texans have liked him, and I think they still like him. And it's baffling, but I do think there's a ton of value to be gained there if you're in a deep league and you need a streamer, just add Tom Savage because he'll get some legitimate starts is kind of my expectation. Yeah, you're right. They- they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have let Osweiler go if they didn't feel at least partially comfortable with Savage leading the offense. But, Sal, you are going to say something. I cut you oh, off. No, I just, I'm not under the impression that Watson is the starter already. I'm just saying if he does become the starter, I think QB23 is a good value. Uh, if we kind of just forget about last year and we go back to 2015, you know, Bill O'Brien had to coach uh, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, TJ Yates, and Brandon Whedon. And those four combined would have finished as the fantasy QB 17 and had five QB one finishes. So I look at that and I see Watson at QB 23. And if he stays at that ADP, I just think it's, it's a good value at that position. But how actionable do you think that is, Sal? I mean, you're talking about combining those three guys to get QB 17, but it, it's difficult to roster that many you know, backup quarterbacks through a season. Now, it's one thing, if you're in a one-quarterback league, you could stream that in theory. But in a 2QB league, usually the two most prominent guys in a, in a competitive, you know, quarterback situation are going to be rostered, maybe not even by the same team. I, I don't know if that, like, I, I don't know if I can rank Watson that high based upon, you know, this this perception that if he if he does start all those games that he, he, he'll get there because Savage is 
still in the picture. Right. I'm just I'm just saying that no, I think Watson is a better quarterback than any of those four, and I think he's also better than Tom Savage. And we've seen those types of quarterbacks produce in Bill O'Brien's system, and I have more faith in the system. So if Watson does get an opportunity to start, I've I I personally have no issue putting him into my starting lineup. Yeah, that's fair. I I, I actually will agree with Sal in the, in the point that I do believe Watson is going to be the predominant starter in that offense. I don't think they would have traded up to draft him if they didn't intend on starting him early in the in the season. And I think that a lot of what we saw with like Ezekiel Elliott leading to um, you know Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey being high draft picks this year, the, the same thing is going to kind of happen because of Dak Prescott's performance last year. I think a lot of these teams are going to think that they can just plug a rookie QB in and have that person be successful right away. And I think Watson's the prime example because, like the Cowboys last year, the Texans are kind of set up to win now and be competitive now. Like, they have a good defense. They have a bunch of good skill position players. I think all they want is, like, a competent quarterback. And Savage might be that, don't get me wrong. But I don't think they trade up for Watson, you know, as the quote-unquote proven winner from college if they don't intend for him to, you know, translate those winning skills to the NFL level. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think the scenario that makes the most sense is that they do start Savage out at the beginning of the year. And if, you no know, things go okay and, you no know, he you know, we use the term game manager a lot, manages that, you no know, team to a, a decent performance, he'll keep starting. But if he does stumble at some point, I can see O'Brien going to Watson. So we probably don't have to worry about Deshaun Watson's ADP in, like right now or later into the offseason. But he's going to be a, a name to keep in mind as a bench stash. Sal, which of these other battles do you think is most interesting after that one in Houston? Uh, the one to me that seems... Like an actual battle is in Denver. Now we have yep. Paxton Lynch, who is a former, a former uh, first round pick in his second year, having to battle two seventh rounders and Trevor Simeon and Chad Kelly. We saw him lose that battle already once last year. Um, no, Kyle Slaughter is a name to keep in mind. I know Pat Thorman had talked a little bit about him. But shouldn't Paxton Lynch be the star? Like, I know we don't just give yes. players a job, but it seems like he was set up to be the guy, and he just gave that away. So that's the one that intrigues me the most, just because I have no idea who's going to be the starter. Like the other ones, you can you can pretty much make a case for the veterans to be the QB one over the rookies, and except in San Fran, we got a couple of vets. But no, that Denver situation is the one to monitor the most because. If it ends up being like last year where we really don't know who is going to be the starter really late into the offseason, preseason, there's a chance to get some value because we saw Trevor Simeon put up some QB1 performances last year. And you're always looking for guys like that, whether it's because your QB1 is injured or they get benched. So they always have a place in two quarterback leagues. How do you see that situation playing out, Josh? Uh, I agree. I think it's really bizarre just based on draft capital that Lynch isn't a clear starter. I, I think it's a genuine competition between Lynch and Simeon. I don't know that Kelly is really in the running right now or, or will be this year, I should say. So I think it is going to be interesting to see how the offseason plays out with Lynch and Simeon. I would not be surprised if Simeon's the starter in week one, but I think it's close between those two. I, I kind of see Kelly as an afterthought. Like they, they think he's talented, but there's some real issues there. I would expect he kind of edges Simeon out in the years to come when Lynch takes over, but I don't think Kelly is a real a real threat to the starter's job is kind of my read on the situation. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I, I agree with Sal that I think Lynch is probably the guy they want to be starting. Now, whether or not he can put it together enough through the offseason to kind of grab the reins and take hold of that job from week one going forward remains to be seen. You know, it, it's clear that, you know, Semyon is competent at least, and, and that can be a struggle for teams to, you know, take that leap of faith on a guy who's younger and more unproven. So we'll see how it goes. The one that interests me the most is that one in San Francisco because it is two veterans, Hoyer and Barkley. I don't necessarily care who wins, but I want to know who wins. You know what I mean? I, I have a feeling it'll probably be Hoyer, again, based on that track record of having played more games. And I don't know how much value there is to being the quarterback of a San Francisco team. Like, I have a feeling they're just going to run the ball a ton, uh, if or as much as they can, to put it in a different way. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, who comes out on top there because – you know, streamability, you know, backup uh, ability, like th- those guys need to be drafted in two quarterback formats. Yeah, that's the depth chart that fascinates me the most because it's mm-hmm. Brian Hoyer, Matt Barkley, CG. Is it Bethard? I, <laughs> I, I didn't even realize it before until someone on Twitter pointed out that it's a beat hard, and then that just made me laugh. That, that was his last name. But like, I, I'm just so trying to jokes. figure out when did they hire Dick Wolf to be the GM and just transport <laughs> Chicago's depth chart to San Francisco? Like, was that their plan going into the offseason? Hey, let's just bring the Bears quarterbacks in and then just see what happens. But, like, Brian Hoyers, he's been fantasy viable uh, the past couple of years. We've seen in Chicago. We've seen what he's done in Houston. Oh, he's put up QB1 weeks. Uh, even Matt Barkley for a period of time was a fantasy uh, – I wouldn't say – fantasy interesting quarterback but uh, we got the the Kyle Shanahan connection he's had um, three top five fantasy QBs in his nine seasons as an offensive coordinator that's Matt Schaub RG3 Matt Ryan Um, if you combine some of the fantasy quarterback performances they've never had a quarterback worse than fantasy QB 24 and no and that's valuable in two quarterback leagues yeah, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, I, I would agree Hoyer's probably going to win the job. It'll be interesting to see because I do think it's a genuine wild card. It could kind of go any way. I, I will say I laughed at Matt Barkley being a veteran. He, he <laughs> is. There's no disagreement, but he's 26 years old. He was drafted in 2013. I'm getting so old when I look at this and I'm like, how is he a veteran? He's a kid. Oh. But I also just don't think he's good. I'll throw that in there. I think Brian Hoyer is a legitimate NFL starter, like a very bottom tier starter. He should be a starter for a team like the 49ers. But I think he's closer to the caliber than Matt Barkley is. Yeah, no, he had three top 12 fantasy finishes last year, scored no 18 plus in uh, three straight weeks, averaged 20.8 fantasy points while he was starting. I know we've seen Brian Hoyer can do it. A lot of people don't have faith in Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer, I don't know what I just said there. Brian Hoyer <laughs> as a real-life quarterback, but real life doesn't always matter in fantasy. Yeah, Because most yeah. for most people, the only Brian Hoyer game they've watched is that wild card game in Houston <laughs> where he collapsed. And so that is who Brian Hoyer is to most people. I mean, the one thing that he doesn't have going for him is a stacked offensive um, no, cupboard of talent. Pierre Garçon <laughs> is the wide receiver one who, you know, he's been reliable over the years and is coming off a season season where he caught 79 passes for a thousand plus yards i know they drafted uh ladanian tomlinson in the fourth round as their next uh starting <laughs> running back but no if you look at that depth chart of receivers and tight ends and they want to trade um good old vance mcdonald if they can too so that's the one thing that's kind of has me wary of brian Hoyer, but 
other than that, it's, he's not going to have a high ADP if he's the starting quarterback. So that's always piques my interest. Yeah, that's the biggest concern for me is that because this is a new regime under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, that this could just be a, a system and a, a situation that is completely in flux all season, making it really hard to trust anybody, whether it be the receivers or the running backs. Like you made a joke about Latanian Tomlinson. Just to be clear, you're talking about Joe Williams, who <laughs> you know apparently Shanahan just had to have, just had to have him in the draft, and it's like. Yeah, but he's still an unproven rookie. Like, Carlos Hyde is still there. Like, I know it's the last year of his contract, but the Niners could just be a total clusterfuck. <laughs> hey, let's let's be real. But let, let's get off of this subject. Let's um get to some of these Twitter questions because we got more than normal. And uh, the first one comes from a longtime listener, uh, Pete Aquaviva, at PD Aquaviva on Twitter. He asks, does Trubisky fall to QB3 in your rookie drafts, and does the landing spot outweigh the draft capital in your opinion? Uh, Josh, you're probably the most dynasty heavy of all of us, so why don't you kick this one off? Um, it's two questions, and I will say yes and no. Uh, Trubisky is my quarterback three. I have him behind Mahomes and Watson in that order. But it it isn't just the landing spot. Like, sure, Chicago is bad. <laughs> I mean, we can agree with that. But a couple of things that are important to know. One is that when we talk about draft capital, um, Adam Harstead has shown that really what you're looking at is the first pick overall is crazy. You get so much opportunity as a quarterback if you're first overall. Then there's a cluster from like 2 to 40 in NFL draft picks. And they're all kind of roughly the same. And then after that is just different. Um, So like outside the top, outside the first round really is a different sort of thing. But I don't feel like 102 is the same as 101. Like when we have guys go first overall, they're going to get lots of opportunity. Two, for whatever reason, historically just isn't the same. So I think draft capital isn't quite as strong a a pull for Trubisky. So it's landing spot, but it's also talent. I I think there's some genuine questions about his talent that people that that know more about scouting than I do have raised. I also think it's concerning that we only have one real college year for Trubisky. Like, why wasn't he a starter until that year? I mean, why did he sit for two years if he's such an incredible star? Those kind of things worry me. And so I would rather take a Watson or a Mahomes. And it's not that I hate Trubisky, but I do think he's pretty clearly behind those two. Sal, do you have anything to add to that? Because I don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, just to hit up on Josh's point, there's a lot of unknown with Mitchell Trubisky, which would scare me into quarterback rookie drafts if I had to put a lot of high draft capital in him as a rookie quarterback. For people that want to know more about Trubisky, I would recommend they read – Derek Clausen's uh, Finding the Fit article on our website about uh, Mitchell Trubisky, and he's written one about Patrick Mahomes, uh, Deshaun Watson, Deshaunay Kaiser. Uh, If I had to rank them, I actually have Mahomes, Watson, and Kaiser ahead of Trubisky just because I like their situations more, but I wouldn't fault anybody for wanting to take Trubisky over those three guys. It's just one of the things, like those four, I think you can make a case for or against each one of them. Yeah, totally. Uh, let's go to the next question. I'm going to try my best to get this name right. It's from Srikanth Arnanga. Uh, or at Srikanth. Oh, J- Sal, do you know this? That's our good friend Achilles. Oh, Achilles. Well, thank you for the question, Achilles. He asks, uh, which QBs drafted outside of the top 12 to 15 have a chance to be this year's version of Mariota or Derek Carr from last year? And I don't really get that reference, to be honest, because Derek Carr was – 
pretty highly drafted last season. Uh, Mariota, not quite so much. Um, and Mariota didn't really perform at such a level that I feel like he was a great value where people were drafting him. Um, but, but I think he's just looking for guys, you know, outside of the 12 to 15 range who could outproduce their ADP. Um, we, we touched on a few when we were going through ADP, but is there anybody you guys want to highlight? Sal, do you want to go first? I mean, I pretty much went over the guys, Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, Philip Rivers. Those are all guys drafted QB 13 or lower who I can see finishing as a you know, top 12 fantasy quarterback. How about you, Josh? Um, I don't have ADP in front of me, but Eli Manning is in some drafts outside those top 12. I think he's positioned well. The other one that is bizarre to say after last offseason where I hated on him, Blake Bortles. I mean, he is going yep. crazy late, and he's been a QB1 two years in a row. Nothing has changed. He is not at risk of losing his job to Chad Henney. Like, he is still going to score you points, even though he is bad at football. And so it's crazy to me that he's going outside the top 20 at quarterback. Yeah, I think Dalton is probably the the odds-on favorite to be the consensus answer if you ask this question to the most people. I think that uh, Bortles is probably the one that would be the least often brought up, but I totally agree with Josh. He is a guy who I think uh, is being undervalued now based upon the track record. Uh, if anything, his situation has gotten better. You know, adding Fournette, that's only going to help, you know, take some pressure off of the passing game. I think Carson Wentz is an interesting one. I've seen a lot of people touting him. Now, I'm not as big of a Wentz fan as, as most others. Uh, I, I disagree with you on Eli, Josh. I think he might just be done, like, I'm going to touch on this in the draft guide, so stay tuned for that. Um, but I, I'm I'm down on Eli. I think that there, there are a lot of red flags. The only other guy I want to bring up here, and this is a real stretch. I, I tweeted about this yesterday, but Ryan Tannehill, I don't know if he's going to jump up into the top 15 or whatever, but I do think he's being slightly undervalued based upon track record in one bad year. Like A, a lot of his efficiency metrics from last year were career highs, despite the fact that he only played 13 games, despite the fact that he had a bad you know, touchdown per game ratio, there's a good chance he bounces back towards those 2015 and 2014 numbers uh, in 2017. But all the players that you guys have mentioned, with the exception of Eli, kind of would fit the bill for me. And, and just the fact that there are so many isn't, again, just wait. Wait to take yeah. some guy later. That's just how it works. Yeah, we named, what, like seven or eight quarterbacks in our list? <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's the thing is we just don't know. There's so much unknown and there's so much variance that you kind of – just have to consider it as a value proposition more than a talent or situation proposition, in my opinion. But uh, let's move on. Next one is from at Laker Great One. He's in a four keeper league where you start two quarterbacks, two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, and two you know regular flexes, not super flex. He's already keeping Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans. That's pretty nice. And he wants to know who he should keep out of the following three players. He's got two spots for three for for these three guys: Alshon Jeffrey, Jordan Howard, and Jordy Nelson. What do you think, Josh? We often talk about it on the podcast, but price matters. If we're assuming that they're all the same cost and it doesn't matter, um, you, like you're not losing draft spots based on where you took them, then I think I would stick with the two wide receivers, Jeffrey and Nelson. You have sick four starters right there, and you can just focus on the other positions. I, I think Jordan Howard is good, but he's got kind of nowhere to go but down from where he was. I would rather have the four kind of sure thing talents at wide receiver rather than a running back with one year. And I think you can kind of cobble together plenty of good options at running back. So I would stick with the four receivers overall. What do you think, Sal? 
Um, but just because he has Evans and Beckham, I'd want to keep uh, Jordan Howard because I imagine his running backs probably aren't as good as Jordan Howard if he's in the conversation to be kept. And then I, I prefer Jordy Nelson to Alshon Jeffrey, but I think just a personal preference on which of the two you like. So for me, it's splitting it down the middle, one running back, one wide receiver. Yeah, I think scoring settings would matter here too. If it's a PPR league, I'm keeping both the receivers. If it's not a PPR league, I'm probably keeping Howard and Nelson. Um, I do think there is an argument to be made for Jeffrey over Nelson just based on age. I don't know how much longer Jordy Nelson can continue to, to play at an elite level, especially because he made it through the regular season unscathed in 2016, but he did get hurt again in the playoffs. Like I think that there's something to be said about his body wearing down. I think the safe safe play is as random as this sounds for long term is to keep Jeffrey and Howard. Um, but maybe there are limits on how long you can keep players anyway. So um, if you're looking just to win in 2017, I, I'd keep Howard and Nelson. At PPR, I'd keep Jeffrey and Nelson. Um, let's move on. This comes from one of our riders, the the illustrious A. Don Davenport, at A. Don Davenport on Twitter. He asks, is it better in Superflex best ball to have two top quarterbacks or three mediocre quarterbacks? And I think we can kind of interpret mediocre as just later values, right? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think I'd probably want to mix both strategies and get one one top 12 quarterback and pair him up with a couple of, you know, say, top 20 quarterbacks who have shown the ability to put up random top fantasy weeks because, you no know, best ball leagues are all about variance and you want guys who have the ability to put up those top weeks, kind of like a Dalton or a Alex Smith or Blake Bortles. Guys you can get cheap and later who you know you're going to get some good weeks out of them. I mean, we you both mentioned Blake Bortles earlier for a different Different Twitter question, though. He was a QB 14 in points per game last year, has an ADP of QB 20 right now. I feel like whenever we talk about Blake Bortles, we should uh, no, apologize to Brian Malone for just panning <laughs> his Blake Bortles love last offseason. But that's the way I would approach it myself. Okay, I was going to say, I'm I'm definitely on the three-quarterback plan here, and that's just more of a, a concession to the fact that all quarterbacks – have a certain level of upside inherently just based upon how much they touch the ball. And so if you're in a league where you can start two every week, uh, like a super flex best ball, I want enough commodities there. I want more to cover the potential variance between the three. Like if you only have two QBs that are, even if they're better quarterbacks, those guys are, are bound to lay some eggs in some weeks. And then you're just behind the eight ball. I'd rather have uh, the larger sample to pick from on a week to week basis in that best ball format. Give me the three quarterbacks. Yeah, 100%. Just on game theory, if you have just two quarterbacks in a super flex, you're guaranteed two bye weeks where you're not having a quarterback in a starter posi- in, in your second starter position. And every single week that you have a poor performance from either of the two quarterbacks, you're hurting yourself. Like with three, you can get the variance, you can get the, the ceiling and also the floor. I just think you have to have the third one. It's really like you want quarterbacks starting in the super flex spot and you don't set yourself up if you only have two. All right. Next question comes from Mark Raskon, another longtime reader and listener. He's at Mark underscore Raskon on Twitter. And he asks a really general question. He says, can you touch, can you touch on your draft strategies for two QB redraft leagues? And rather than go into some long winded analysis of, draft strategy. I mean, that's what the site is for. That's what the draft guide is for. Give me one kind of overarching theme or goal that you guys have when you go into a two QB redraft league. 
find the value. I think that's what's always about with fantasy football. Uh, I mean, every league is going to be different. Every league setting is going to be different. But in general, I tend to go in with a studs and streaming approach because I like to get that one QB1 and pair them up with a couple QB2s. I'm always flexible when it comes to that, but I'm always looking for the value at the quarterback position. How about you, Josh? Yeah, wait at the position. Auction's a totally different animal, but for snake draft, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, for me, I I think this kind of can apply to any draft, but try to figure out where the value is at certain positions. Like if you do enough mock drafts, if you do enough uh, real drafts, uh, you know, whether you're doing MFL 10s or or something else, you'll start to see where you like certain positions. Like even if you didn't make the right picks in the early rounds, like in those middle rounds, you'll start to say, oh, you know, in round five or round six, I almost always can find wide receivers that I like or running backs that I like. And if that's the case, you should probably wait to draft whatever that position is, right? Uh, And if in, you know, round 10, there's always a tight end that you like more than everybody else, then you should probably wait until round 10 to take that tight end, right? Uh, And not reach for someone like Jordan Reed or Greg Olson or whoever else. Um, That that would be my one overarching kind of goal there is, is to try to, is to practice first and foremost, so that you can figure out where you like the guys that you like, you know, where you can get them. Last question. This one comes from Dwayne Brown. I thought this was really interesting. He's at Dwayne B 13 on Twitter. He says, as analysts, what was your most common error made early in your careers? And how did you come to recognize it and avoid it in the future? And I know you guys had some tongue in cheek answers to this on Twitter, but um, can, can you give a serious answer, please? Pretty, pretty, please. <laughs> Um, I had a tough time with the as analysts thing because I think I'm still a bad analyst. There's so much to go from, and I don't know that I've learned from a lot of my mistakes yet. But just in general for fantasy, having played for a decade and a half now, I know that one of the things I would do too much is I would rely really heavily on one set of rankings early on. So ESPN or Yahoo, whoever I was pulling from. And then when I would deviate, it would be based too much on the hype or narrative that I'd heard most recently. And so one of the biggest ways of recognizing and avoiding it was seeing that I was prone to relying upon recency too much. And so kind of what I've done in my own drafts to kind of balance that out is to come in prepared with something that's taken me weeks or sometimes even months, uh, whether it's a cheat sheet, a strategy, and then I largely stick to that. I don't let myself go off of instinct because my instinct is kind of swayed by the latest Roto World blurb kind of in ways that it shouldn't be. So kind of balancing myself out over time rather than just going off recency. What do you think, Sal? I mean, like, I responded to Dwayne on Twitter saying, I don't know. And that's the honest truth. I've been trying to figure out an answer for this question, like probably for the past two or three hours. And there's a lot of mistakes I've made from say a writing point of view or just like on the back end as an editor or a website manager. But when it comes to like, as an analyst, it's kind of hard to try and figure out what my mistakes were. If I had to say one thing, it'd probably be like, no, find a few stats that you believe in that can help you predict fantasy performances and try and cut out the noise because there's a lot of information out there nowadays that can easily sway you or lead you down the wrong path. I mean, at least if you, you know 
have a certain set of goals or a certain set of statistics that you believe in, you can at least just put the blame on yourself if they go wrong and not have an, an excuse to say, oh, well, that person told me I should do this or said those stats matter. I mean, at the end of the day, you are the one that makes decisions. You're the one that writes the articles. You're the one that does all the research. So just kind of like put it on your shoulders if you're wrong. Yeah, I have two answers to this question. They kind of both mirror what you guys talked about. The first is along the lines of what Josh mentioned, and that's recency bias. And that was one thing that I really fell prey to early on in my career, where last year's stats completely dictated my strategy for the upcoming year. And I didn't look any further back. I didn't try to project forward enough. Um, and, and the way I kind of recognized that and and started to avoid it was by just taking the time to gather more data to put together like a, a database of information on passing stats, on quarterback production, things like that. And by finding the right resources to help you track, you know, historical performance. And I, and I know that Sal's a big fan of fantasy data and so am I. It's fantasydata.com. That's not a paid advertisement. It's just a, a good resource to go look at basic fantasy production over the last however many years. And you can pull up different years. You can pull it up by team, by position. And it's a great resource. Um, translating that stuff into like week to week performance can be a little more tricky. That requires a little bit more legwork, but I've done that. And through that, you start to see that the most recent thing to happen is not necessarily indicative of what's going to happen next. Um, the other thing that I, I feel is, was a real problem for me early on was relying too much on f other fantasy analysts and other, other, you know, sources of information as opposed to trusting my own analysis. And, I think that the reason for that, and this isn't to say that like the people I follow on Twitter or the the sites that I was reading were giving me bad advice. It's that they weren't always congruent with my own process and my own instincts, right? So if I'm putting together my own rankings for a week and I know that I like, you know, these 10 players the most, but then someone else posts a really good stat that says, oh, well, I like this player and here's why. And I go, oh, well, let me, let me incorporate that one bit of information into my you know analysis and, and bump that player up that person who recommended that player may not have done so under the same like grand scheme the same like kind of holistic view that i use to create my own rankings or my own analysis and so if though if if the processes don't match up then it's not really it doesn't really make sense for me to take on the the conclusion of the other of the other process does that make sense Oh, yeah. It's so easy to, get, to be prone to groupthink in this industry. Yeah, and so like I found that a lot of the times what I have to do is I have to say, and I still struggle with this to this day, I have to take a look at how I've ranked players and say, okay, I've ranked these guys this way for a reason. If I'm going to move them for any reason, it needs to make sense to me and my process. And that has to it has to be one kind of holistic thing right it has to make sense within context of itself um and and you're still going to be wrong you're always going to be wrong what i mean even the best people in the industry are wrong like 40 percent of the time say you can't let those misses discourage you if you know the rest of your process was good enough to to give you the wins in other categories you know like if i if i'm right about 10 players but i'm wrong about the one player that i like the most or the one player who i was really hoping would come through that shouldn't sway me if the rest of my process kind of played out in a way that was overall successful. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. For uh, sure. Yeah. I think so. Anyway, I want to close this out with um, some bold predictions and this is something that gets thrown around the industry a lot, but I figured it's a good, good way to let Josh go out because 
one, you can say whatever the hell you want in a bold prediction. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and two, they're fun. So um, I'll start with this. And this is um, probably going to be a little bit of a hot take, but I don't think Derek Carr is going to be a top 15 fantasy quarterback this season. I know he still has the same weapons, uh, but I do think the Raiders benefited largely from a really easy schedule last year. I think that schedule is going to get worse now that they you know made the playoffs. They have a, a tougher you know road ahead of them in 2017. Um, I, I generally don't know if Derek Carr is that good. I, I think he he might be. Like uh, again, bold prediction. I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to project that you know he falls out of the top 15. Uh, a lot of other quarterbacks kind of make that ascent uh, into that you know kind of upper tier and, and second tier of quarterbacks. What do you guys think? Are you are you Derek Carr fans this year? Uh, I'm a Derek Carr fan. I probably won't buy him at his current price, but I can see a scenario where he doesn't finish as a top 15 quarterback mainly because of how many options there are yeah i think the outside the top 15 is a hot take i don't i i couldn't get behind that fully but i'm not a i'm a sell i i wouldn't be buying him at his price almost ever yep uh who wants to go next uh, I'll go next so we can leave Josh uh, till the end. Uh, so I will start my bold prediction with a caveat and remind people of my bold prediction of 2016, which was that uh, Robert Griffin III would start all 16 games and be a top five, top five fantasy quarterback. I'm surprised my computer didn't burn down when I typed that. And we all saw that he finished as the QB 30 in points per game and started a whole five games. So, I mean, I got the five part right. I just it wasn't the five that I wanted. But my uh, bold prediction for this season, Carson Wentz, top 12 fantasy quarterback. Um, Joe Pano wrote an article for the site this year that highlighted uh, Wentz's stats with and without Lane Johnson, uh, the offensive lineman. When Lane Johnson was in the lineup, uh, Wentz scored 19.28 fantasy points per game compared to 15.11 without him as touchdowns to interception ratio was 10 to 2 with Lane and 6 to 12 without. Uh, we saw they added Alshon Jeffrey, Torrey Smith. They just signed LeGarrette Blunt. Um, Jordan Matthews is still there, even though there's been some trade rumors. Zach Ertz. Um, no, 19.28 would have been QB7 in, 20, in 2016. I know we can't translate that last year's stats to this year's stats, but I just think the the opportunity to set up the situation is right for Wentz to take a leap this year. Uh, whether he does is a different question, and it all kind of depends on how you think of him in terms of his quarterbacking talent. I know some people aren't really a big Wentz fan, but again, for fantasy purposes, real life doesn't always matter. All right, Josh, get bold. Ooh, well, you uh, you couldn't script this, and we didn't, but I'm also going to include Carson Wentz in mine. So Sal and I did this unbeknownst to each other. My bold prediction is that Jared Goff is a better fantasy quarterback than Carson Wentz in 2017. Woo! I just don't think that Carson Wentz is good. I think he was overdrafted from a small school. I think the second half of the year showed us a lot more who he really is. And the NFL kind of got to him and he can't compete nearly at the level we expected he would after his first few games. And I think Jared Goff under a non-Jeff Fisher offense, one that made Kirk Cousins look like a great quarterback, which he wasn't coming out and being seen as a great quarterback when he was drafted. I think that there's a lot of upside in that offense, and I think that the talent is better. Uh, we talked about the 101 being a significant factor. I do think Goff will get opportunity, that he's a clear starter coming into the year. And I'm excited to see what he does under a new regime. Jeff Fisher destroys careers. He destroys offenses. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what the Los Angeles Rams can do with Jerry Goff. 
So if I have Wentz as a top 12 and you think Goff will be better, that means Goff will be a top 10. So everybody <laughs> heard it here first. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, QB1s. We're both right. They're bumping the yeah. car out. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> We're all three right. And there we go. Man, that, that is some serious two QBs teamwork. Um, I, I actually lied. I have one more bold prediction, and this is wishful thinking, but I predict that Josh Lake will return to the fantasy <laughs> business within three years. Um, we'll see how it goes. My fingers are crossed. I'm going to miss this stuff, man. I'm, I'm going to give you the floor here to say anything else you want to say. You want to talk about the industry. You want to do any thank yous or, or anything like that. Uh, the floor is yours. Have at it. I appreciate it, and there's so much that I could say. The The thing that I I need to say and want to say is that I've really enjoyed working with the two of you guys. And I think that everyone that knows you knows it, but you guys are really outstanding people and outstanding figures in the industry. Um, you're both some of the, the kindest, most genuine people that I know. And uh, Greg, your ability to kind of think at the meta level and think about game theory and strategy is a really unique thing that's very valuable in the community. And Sal, you do such a fantastic job of thinking of everybody else around you and finding ways to elevate people and encourage them and really inspire people to be the best versions of themselves. And so I am thrilled to watch kind of what happens with two QBs and you guys personally this year. And I I certainly will be doing what I can to publicize, retweet, uh, just cheer you guys on because I am excited to see kind of how the site continues to grow under the two of you. Yeah, man. Much appreciated. We're going to miss you, like I said. Um, with that, let's let's close this thing down. I, I know you got some stuff to take care of, Josh. So uh, standard outro here. Uh, rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, I think that what I'm going to do is run a contest eventually uh, to give away some copies of the draft guide for people who rate and review the podcast. Uh, and it won't just be like one lucky winner, a situation like that. If uh, I'll probably pull multiple. So And we'll start now. Um, what's today? Today's the 18th of May. If you post a review today or later of the podcast, you'll be entered in to, to get a free copy of the draft guide. So that would be much appreciated. Stop by 2QBs.com. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Make sure you check out all the awesome work we got going on there. You'll, you'll see updates about the guide on the site very soon. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for the podcast or just, you know, in general, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs uh, by email at 2QBs at gmail.com. Once again, you spell that out, two, or T-W-O-Q-B-S. Sal, you, you have one more note here. You want to you touch on that? Yeah, just one more thing. Uh, everybody knows Scott Fishbowl is coming up, SFB7 this year. Uh, I have decided to give away my personal spot in the Scott Fishbowl. And to anybody that wants to draft my place, all you have to do is make a minimum $5 donation to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and screenshot me your donation. Uh, you can find that. Uh, it's my pinned tweet on Twitter at 2QBFFB. So far, we have 23 entrants and have raised $201. So let's uh, bump that up a bit more. That's awesome. Yeah, keep contributing. I mean, it's a good cause. Um, yeah, and playing in the Scott Fishbowl is a treat, man. That is one of the funnest things I got to do last year in the industry. I can't wait to, to play in that format again. Scott always comes up with you know the, the coolest leagues. So uh, with that said, thank you all for listening. Uh, Josh, farewell. Adieu. Make your great escape. Uh, and... We'll, we'll, we'll have you back on as, as soon as we can. And you always have a place here. You know that. Um, the listeners know that. Anyway, thanks for everything you've done. Thanks for everything you do. And, and good luck in everything you do in the future, man. Well, we wish you well. Hey, thanks, I, Josh. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll talk to you all next time on the 2QB Experience. We're out of here. Adios. Adios.